And this is View of the Valley's podcast, episode 26 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how are you doing? Doing better every day. Just getting more and more in the swing of the season. Starting some uh, Ohio Valley conference matchups tonight. And, uh, you know, feels like it's finally upon us. Just hopefully we can keep this thing rolling. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, it's been a nice week with college hoops rolling on. Um, my work's starting to slow down, so everything's going in the right direction for me. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to the upcoming games, especially in the OVC, and looking forward to seeing what games are on the docket for the Missouri Valley Conference as well. Yeah, pl- plenty of cross-conference uh, matchups for us to talk about as well. So during today's episode, we'll break down the games from this past week inside the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley, as well as some other news surrounding the two leagues. Jay Spoonauer, head coach for the Eastern Illinois Panthers, joins the show. And at the end of the show, we look ahead to some of the other upcoming games for this coming week. But first things first, TJ, we'll look back at some of the games that took place this past week. And first game I wanted to mention here, TJ, before you get to one of your Missouri Valley games, uh, Jacksonville State, who I talked about in our final thoughts segment last week, been on a roll as of late. They'd won three straight since dropping their season opener to Alabama. Uh, they dropped a close one to Florida International, who's now 4-0. and They lost 74-70. to But that was a game Jacksonville State should have won. Uh, the Gamecocks lost that game basically from the foul line. They only made 13-23 foul shots, which is good enough for 56%, whereas... FIU was 13 of 16 for 81%. So you hear at times where, you know, coaches say, you know, you got to make those free shots count when no time's running off the clock. And well, you know, and sometimes in close games that actually matters. And this was one of them that, you know, that mattered. Right. So that's probably the difference right there. Exactly. What was one of the games in the Missouri Valley for you, TJ? Well, I think, Probably the tough one, I think, on the Missouri Valley side was Bradley losing to South Dakota State in Peoria. I think it's a tough loss uh, for the Braves after they'd started out pretty well. But South Dakota State shot the lights out. They were 17 for 26 from three-point range. And, I mean, while they played really well, and I just think it's not a good it's not a good loss for Bradley. And, uh, you know, Elijah Childs stepped up with 18 points. Terry Nolan Jr., who's really proven to be kind of uh, a valuable uh, asset for the Braves. He had 17. I think that was the game that kind of stood out to me. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I hate to stick with losses, but Valpo losing to Purdue. I think you look at the score, it was 68-61. They played in West Lafayette. But Valpo actually was up by 11, and they simply ran out of steam and ran out of bodies. They had 53 fouls called in that game, and 32 of them were against Valpo. And I'm not trying to say wow. to the referee saying they do that, but – it really, the flow of the game seemed seemed really slow just because of the number of fouls that were called. And I don't think the players adjusted very well. You know, Donovan Clay and uh, Malik McMillan both fouled out, so two of their top guys. And then Jacob, I'm going to say his name wrong, Jacob Agnovich. And then Good, good News Pekal. Pegale, excuse me, that's how he says it. Good news, Pegale. Each had four fouls, and they didn't foul out, but that definitely changes how you use them as a player. And uh, I thought uh, Robinson looked really good. He's a returner for Valparaiso, looked really good cutting the basket, attacking the rim. And that same freshman, 
again, Agnaucevic stood out. He was four for five from three-point range for them. So I think while you look at that score, you're like, well, you know, Balto has to be pretty happy with only losing to a Big Ten school by seven. I think they feel like they left that one out there. You know, I think they feel like you, we, walk, we should have walked out of there with a win and it just didn't come together for us. So those are the two kind of uh, significant games I saw on that side. Well, another one I had on the Ohio Valley and won't talk about it too long because uh, Coach Spoonhour talks about it a little bit in the interview. Uh, Eastern Illinois had a real nail biter down in uh, or up in Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay currently winless 0-3 and playing at Marquette right now. But Eastern Illinois was able to win in double overtime against Green Bay. And it was it was a back-and-forth game, it seemed like, most of the way. And Josiah Wallace was the guy in charge for Eastern. He had 27 points, 5 rebounds, and 2 assists. But Coach Spoonauer talks a little bit about that in the interview. So I'll save that for then. Uh, one of the games I was really surprised about in the Ohio Valley, uh, Sanford going on the road to Belmont and basically hit – glided to the win i mean they won by 13 put up 96 points on belmont at home which was belmont's Mm -hmm. first loss and if you know how belmont plays they run down and their threes are typically their you know their strategy you know Mm -hmm. they're a good three-point shooting team they live and die by it and if they're not if they're not making them it's going to be tough for them to win it seems like in recent seasons and this game was you know, right on, you know, same pattern. You know, Belmont was 10 of 41 from three-point range, which is less than 25%, whereas Sanford was 14 of 30 for 47%. You know, Belmont did force 19 turnovers, so their defense was trying to keep themselves in the game, but their offense just, you know, wasn't letting it have it from behind the three-point arc. Yeah, on the the Missouri Valley side, another – tough loss I think is probably you know one that you look at is it's right in there with that Bradley South Dakota game is Valpo losing at University of Illinois Chicago it just I watched that game it was what last Tuesday I think and just watched it they just were never really in it it just it never felt like they were that same team that even played against Vanderbilt and definitely wasn't the same team that showed up to play Purdue so you kind of wonder what are you going to get out of Alpraiso this year? They're still trying to figure out who they are. Donovan Clay, you know, led them with 12 points, but it was kind of just, just kind of lacked energy, for lack of a better term. And then the only other game that wasn't, you know, an OBC crossover game was Drake over Nebraska Omaha. They won 87 66. DJ Wilkins, four for four from three point range, and the Bulldogs had five players in double figures. So again, Drake kind of continuing on that upward trend that they've shown here the last couple to start the season. Yeah, and the last game I had before, you know, the crossover games uh, was Tennessee Tech. They went on the road to Western Kentucky, and Tennessee Tech was looking for that first win, whereas Western Carolina, excuse me, I think I said Western Kentucky, but Western Carolina, you know, they're off to a 5-1 and one start, and Tennessee Tech gave them everything they wanted. You know, the game went all the way to overtime and ended up losing – by one, 76-75, uh, Tennessee Tech allowed a, a three with less than one second remaining in overtime. So it looked as if Tennessee Tech was going to get that first win, but their uh, three-point defense negated that you know, in the final seconds of overtime, which as a 
as a player, you just you hate to see that, and it just gives you that that terrible feeling inside that you play so hard for so long, and it's just that one play at the end that you know seals the deal, especially that far away from home. Yeah, one thing I always try to you know when you think it comes down to one play, you have to tell your players, or I always felt like you t- you tell your players like you may think of those last play or two or three at the end of the game, but every player can find a couple of plays where they didn't didn't have their defensive assignment. They didn't rebound a ball they should have. They missed a shot they should have made. Sure. You know, there's so many things to add up. And I just think that's your opportunity to teach those kids like, hey, you may think that that play at the end of the game costs us. And, and, and it did. There's no doubt about it. But we all had plays that we could have made mm-hmm. throughout the game that could have made up that those points for us easily. You know, and just got to teach players sometimes at big games, you got to treat every possession like it's the last possession of the game sure. and just have that kind of importance and sense of urgency. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. It's a, definitely a good point to, uh, you know, touch on if you're a coach trying to make a teaching point. Uh, I actually did have two other games where we get to the crossover ones. Uh, SEMO upended a Sun preseason favorite Lipscomb last night, 82-77 in Cape Girardeau. SEMO now 2-1, and one, and they had just five wins a season ago. Uh, East, I think they play them again tomorrow, don't they? Aren't they playing they again? Yeah, it's one of them home-and-homes that a lot of schools have been doing that are, you know, kind of a short drive. I mean, it's mm-hmm. still a couple-hour drive, but... I think we've been seeing that a lot more this year that a lot of teams are doing that home and home, you know, back to back, it seems like. Uh, last one, uh, one of the first OVC games head to head, Eastern Kentucky at home against Moorhead State. And Moorhead State's been a team that's played Eastern Kentucky pretty well when they go head to head inside OVC play. And yesterday was basically the same. Uh, Coach A.W. Hamilton, he needed. He needed the speed and fast play, you know, in that game especially, to make a comeback, and he got exactly what he wanted. Uh, Michael Moreno had a three-point play with three seconds left in the game, which helped erase a 16-point deficit that the Colonels trailed at halftime to Marhead State, and Eastern Kentucky ended up getting that first OVC win, 71-68. So if you're a Moorhead State Eagle fan, you know, you kind of look at that game trying – you know, dissect it and say, you know, are are you happy about how they played? You know, it was a game they probably should have won. I mean, they they had Eastern Kentucky's number all game. Um, if you were a MSU Eagles fan, you know, you look at their schedule prior. They didn't have an easy schedule. They played a couple Power Five conference opponents. I believe they played Kentucky, Ohio State. I'm not sure who else they played. Um, but they had a tough schedule, so you couldn't really take, you know take those scores from those two games and say okay well this season's not going to go as planned because they got blown out in those two games no it was a buy game for them you know just trying to get some money right seeing how they came out and competed against eastern kentucky who really in my opinion has been playing some of the best basketball in the ohio valley to this point i mean they had their number for i you know 37 38 minutes so that's the last game I had, TJ. We'll get into the crossover games here. And I think there were three of them, if I'm not mistaken. You had Illinois State, Murray State, Evansville, right. Tennessee Martin, and then Carbondale and SEMO. Right. So the first one we'll get into is the Illinois State and Murray State game. Uh, Murray came away with a 76-65 win. Uh, the three-point defense I believe, won the game for Murray. They held the Redbirds to below 22% from deep. 
and Illinois State attempted 23 three-pointers in that game. Yeah, I think this game was even closer than that 11-point difference. It felt like at least twice that Murray State was going to run away with it. They'd stretch the lead out to 15, you know, 16 points, and all of a sudden Illinois State would just chip away and, you know, got it back under 10. And I think think this is a good loss for Illinois State, given where, you know, they're kind of projected to finish bottom of the Missouri Valley Conference. And, you know, Murray State's been a perennial – a top team in the OVC. I think this is a good loss for them. I mean, I uh, get 16 points out of Antonio Reese, but I thought they got a really nice performance out of Dusan Mohorzic and our Mohorzic and uh, he had 15 and nine. So, uh, you know, that, that, I think that was his first game playing for Illinois state this year. So that was a good breakout performance for him. And I think that that's a positive for Illinois state. Well, I think it is. And, you know, if you're Illinois State, you knew Murray State was going to come out, you know, with a vengeance. I mean, they had just lost pretty handily to Middle Tennessee in a game where I think a lot of people are expecting Murray to come out and, you know, be you know more competitive against Middle Tennessee. So I think you're right, you know, the, for Illinois State going to Murray and, you know, playing as competitive as they were yeah the score may have been double digits but as you said the game looked like it was a lot closer I mean I think it'll that game will only help you know the Redbirds going forward but Tevin Brown was the guy was the go-to guy for Murray State in that game 22 points nine rebounds and six assists so he nearly had a double double without him you know the game's obviously completely different Uh, but a good win for Murray Murray rebounding from that loss against uh, Middle Tennessee uh, next one, uh, Evansville and UT Martin, and, it, and this was a great game. Uh, another good game. All three were basically good games. Uh, Evansville, UT Martin, this game went all the way to double overtime. And I tell you what, when we were talking about this this game, you know, in the last episode, I was really trying to see how UT Martin was going to come out and play. I kind of thought they'd, you know, they'd come out. Um, you know, really kind of ready to go, you know, just with everything that's happened to their program over the last couple of weeks, felt like they were going to go out there and really try and, you know, win one for, uh, you know, their, their late coach. Yeah. You know, and I think Evansville's just trying to figure out how to win again. Uh, kudos to them. They, you know, some, most of the other teams in the Missouri Valley putting some D2 teams on their schedule like that. But, you know, we're looking at you know, Evansville's going and playing an OVC team. They obviously went down and, and played uh, Louisville and Prairie View A and M, so they're not. It's not like they're necessarily backing down either, because I think they have, uh, you know, some tough games coming up here. I think they have Purdue coming up soon too, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, Noah Frederick with 22 points, and then Jax Levich had a double double with 15 points and 10 boards. But I just. I think once they get that first win, maybe they can, you know, some things will start to turn around for them, start to believe. And I think when you're at this point and you've lost so many in a row, you kind of get that feeling like, oh, here we go again. You know, and just, you know, yeah, they got down by, was it five or six in overtime? And yep. all of a sudden it's like, well, here we are again. Because you know, they had so many games that were like that where they come for, you know, 35 minutes and all of a sudden, you know, they get down a few, you know, couple possessions late and it's like well here we are again you know and you don't you know those kids aren't consciously making that decision but it, it's inevitably going to creep into the back of your mind when it happens again and again and ut martin uh 
they went extremely deep that game. They had 13 guys that played. And if you think of a double overtime game, you're thinking, well, they're probably going to use a lot of guys. And that's exactly what happened. And they didn't have one guy that fouled out. So it's not like they had a lot of players in foul trouble. Uh, Eden Holt led the way, 35 minutes played, uh, 9 of 10 from the foul line, and was 6 of 9 from the floor. He totaled 24 points and three assists. So he came up big for UT Martin. And UT Martin was going to try and carry some of that success into their next game. But I believe that that was their game against Illinois, and that game ended up getting canceled because I think UT Martin had some uh, COVID protocols that they were trying to follow. Uh, Next game also went to overtime. Uh, This is your school, TJ, Southern Illinois. And then uh, SEMO on my end. Great game. Uh, Phenomenal game. I didn't get to see all of it, but... You know, the game went to overtime, and Carbondale ended up pulling away for an eight-point victory, 87-79. I know SEMO got the loss. They were coming off of a win over UMKC, part of the Negro League Baseball Classic down in Kansas City. But just seeing how Coach Brad Korn had SEMO prepared for their rival of Carbondale coming to Cape, I was impressed. You know, a lot of people wrote SEMO off. You know, they were picked, finished dead last in the conference, which is 12th. You know, to see them open up with a win – and then basically come back to you know Cape Girardeau and take SIU to overtime. You know I thought it uh, I thought it spoke volumes of what Coach Corn is trying to you know instill in the SEMO program. Yeah, and I think you know it really showed, and, and no slight to SEMO, I thought this was their game to win, but I thought it really showed that it was Southern Illinois' first game uh, of the season. Coach Mullins, you know Brian Mullins wasn't there because he had tested positive for COVID, and. You know, I thought the, the glaring weakness for SIU was their rebounding. And, you know, Coach Mullins talked about that because he was obviously watching the game. And, you know, that's going to be an issue. I think they expected uh, J.D. Mulia, the Juco transfer, to take care of a lot of that and defend the rim. So, you know, I think they were looking at, I think there was, was there one guy that had more than one year of Division One experience on SIU's roster? Uh, because, you know, they're playing D'Avonzo, that's a, a D2 guy. And then, you know, Damask and Jones were both uh, sophomores. And Jones didn't play much because he hadn't been with the team a whole lot because he had, unfortunately, his high school teammate up in Evanston had been uh, shot and killed. So he had been away from the team for a little while. And that kind of led down the stretch. There were some questions as to why he wasn't in. And he hadn't just, hadn't just been there with the team. But, uh you know, Ben Ben Harvey, the Eastern Illinois transfer, looked really good. And if you if you watch the game, the SEMO uh, announcer on uh, uh, the ESPN Plus Eric game John. just he was just he was in, he just knew that Ben Harvey was you know had a Superman shirt on underneath when he plays SEMO uh, <laughs> every time he scored like of course Ben Harvey's going to score because he's playing SEMO because he had a really good game against them as a freshman at Eastern Illinois. So, yeah. but. You know, two big free throws by Diavonzo in his first Division One game. He has two free throws with about, was it four or five seconds left to tie it? And then Damask leads the the uh, Salukis with 24 points. I think he was 11 of 12 from uh, the free throw, something like that, something crazy like that. So that made a big difference. But I thought the interior game was lacking for the Salukis, and that's something we hopefully that they'll be able to shore up. Well, and you're right. Uh, Carbondale was out rebounded 50 to 37, you know, in the game. But one of the big areas of concern for
for SEMO in that aspect. They were outscored from the free throw line 28 to 11. You know, you lose by eight, but you're outscored by 17 from the foul line. You know, Cardinal shot 80% from the foul line, where SEMO was 11 to 21 for 52%. So, you know, you're probably thinking Coach Korn, especially being at home, really going to try and get that foul that foul percentage. You know, it's got to go up from there if you want to win them close games. Right. But with that, that's kind of a look back at some of the games from this past week. And with that, we'll go ahead and bring you the interview when we caught up with Coach Jay Spoonauer earlier in the week. And we're joined by Coach Jay Spoonauer, Eastern Illinois' head basketball coach. First off, Coach, congrats on the big win yesterday. How are things with you? Always good after a win. Can't, if, you, if you can't be happy after a win, because they don't happen <laughs> all that often, then you've got to reevaluate. But, yeah, it, it, uh, it's a weird year, but, uh, but yeah, everything is going, going well. <laughs> So we'll jump right into here, into here, Coach. Uh, again, thanks for joining us today, first time with us. Uh, you started your head coaching career at Wabash Valley, then moved on to Moberly as a head coach at both the junior college level and the Division One level. How different is the recruiting process for those two levels? Um, I'd say the essence of it is the same deal. It's still about um, getting relationships with people, um, dealing a lot with the with the head coach, with the high school coaches, and being able to, you know, I, I've always been one of those guys that likes to recruit from the coach because, uh, you know, they're going to know more about a kid because they've had them and and they know what they are on a day to day basis and how they react to things and whether they go to class and, and things like that, and they can see way they know way more than I can see if I watch two or three games. Um, and so it's, I've always, you know, I, I end up getting players from the same programs on because I trust those coaches. And so when you look at our roster, sometimes we've got, we had lots, we had lots of guys from Highland at one point. We had lots of guys from, uh, from, um, Swick and different places because I, and Moberly because I, because I know those coaches and I trust them. Sure. So it's known that you come from a coaching family. Seeing your dad coach, was that the main reason you wanted to get into coaching? Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, you're just around it. Um, you know, and it was, you know, I can, st- I remember, I don't know how old I was. He was a junior college coach in Iowa. And the I can remember my, I was probably in third grade or fourth grade and, and he was supposed to go speak at something, uh, whether it was rotary or some, some sort of deal. And, um, and their team was real good. And so my mom said, Hey, you ought to go listen to your dad speak. And cause he used, he, he did, he gave lots of speeches and he was real funny and, and, and everybody liked watching. Well, when we went there and the, the whole room was full, I don't even remember what it was, but the whole room was filled with people and everybody was, you know, all happy to see him. And I thought, well, what a, what a neat deal. Everybody's everybody <laughs> likes you. And, uh, it, it, I realized that it, it, it is that way when you win almost every game, which is what he was doing in Juco. Everybody does. Right. Like um, but it, it is something about, okay. If you just take the, like the, you know, the, the on the outside, what people see about coaching um, and I guess this would go for any any job where people have an interest in what you do. That's a it's a kind of an allure. Um, you know, in a way, it's 
you know how like there's boxers that they never leave when they're supposed to leave. They always just come back and every boxer has to come back and get one more fight in and then really get pummeled <laughs> before they quit. And it's because, and it's the same thing with politicians it, because you've got all these people cheering for you, you know? And, uh, and so I always thought that about boxers. It's like, gosh, that must be, so, it must be really hard to say no to because everybody, you know, they, they're interested in what you do. It's not it, that 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 doesn't happen as much in coaching, but it, there's a little bit of that. And uh, the you know anybody that, that anybody that's coached any level, it is the best part. The absolute best part is when a guy buys in and figures something out and does well. You know, and it doesn't even have to be basketball stuff. It could be schoolwork or anything. But that's always the best part. Um, I think there's there's probably guys in there's more guys in coaching now um, because of money trying to get in the because guys make a lot of money at, at the very very high levels. But shoot, past those top hundred guys, there, there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of money to be made. But that's but you do have people that are getting into it for that, and that was never the case before. So, what do you have you taken away from your dad as? maybe your best coaching lesson that has helped you along the way through your stops? Probably, you know, he never got, um, he was never real excited about a win and he was never very down about a loss. It, we didn't, he didn't come home and talk about his team. He didn't, um, I'm talking about when I was a little guy. Um, and I don't know if that, that's not a plan. That's just sort of the way he was. But I can remember being in high school and we lost a game to somebody we shouldn't have lost to. And I was, I was acting sad or mad or whatever around the house the next day, almost because I thought that's how I was supposed to act. And he said, Jay, it's just a loss. And he goes, if you get this down about every loss, you're not going to make it. And it's true because you get beat a lot. Sure. And, and so that was the, probably the biggest thing is you're, you're never quite as as great as you feel after you win and you're darn sure not as bad as you think you are after you lose. I mean, I've had games where we've lost and I felt so dumb. Uh, you know, I can remember we played, we played, uh, I was an assistant, but we played Indiana, uh, when Bobby Knight was there and you talk, it, it was bad enough that they would just beat you, but you just, you did you felt like you hadn't, there was no way you were ever going to be good enough to beat them. Um, and they didn't have faster guys or anything like that. They just, you just felt, golly, this guy's on a different level. Uh, and you feel like that a lot when you get beat. So looking into the, you know, 2020 season, obviously it's been very chaotic over the last year. Uh, how has the transfer portal, do you think, how has that affected mid-major basketball? <clears throat> you know, I think... I, you know, it's probably been a good thing for us from a, from a recruiting standpoint in that, uh, and I don't know whether this is necessarily because of the portal or because of COVID. Um, but you, the portal now is used, you use it as a recruiting tool and that, you know, who's transferring and then you can, it's now with the, with computers and internet and everybody's got huddle or synergy. And so you can watch it. You can watch every possession a guy's ever played and you don't have to get on a plane and go see him and spend a bunch of money. So the, the money is the biggest issue for 
us and teams like us because you don't it costs a lot of money to recruit a player <clears throat> if you're going to really get to know them you got to go back and forth numerous times and get to know them and see them you know and and then you have them on a visit it's thousands of dollars well for us we can now recruit and at least find out whether or not we're we like the player um before all that in general i think the portal not a good idea because I mean, it's been coming for a while. Kids jumping around, switching teams, starting with, I mean, my ki- I've got young kids myself. Okay. And, uh, and just with baseball and stuff, little 10, 9, 10-year-old kids just jumping around, going from one team to the next. If they don't like this coach or that guy, and then you want to think, you know, what you think is going to be easier somewhere else, you're, you're crazy. And everybody who's ever made it doing anything, I don't care what it is, everybody dealt with adversity at some point and, and had folks that didn't like, and you had to learn to get along with them. You had to learn to fight to do something. If the first thing you do is say, well, I'm just going to go somewhere else. Oh my gosh. I mean, you just, you're just asking for things to not work out. Right. And so that's the only thing I don't like about it is that it's made the ease at which people can just pull up stakes and take off. It's, 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 facilitated that and that's not good for people um and so you know make, yeah does it make it easier on us save us some money yeah so it's good for us in that regard but boy i think it's bad for it's bad for a kid i think well we had we had antonius cleveland on uh, a couple months ago and we were asking him about it you know saying you know if you knew you had the potential to you know get to that next level in the nba you know why why stay at semo you know, maybe try and go to a, you know, bigger school if the option was there. And he said, you know, I kind of look at it as if the grass isn't always greener. You know, they may say that you might get all this playing time here, but then you get there and you don't get as much playing time. And he kind of liked the fact that, you know, he was the guy at SEMO. Yeah, so that's why he, and he was. And, and now you see a lot of players, especially this year, in the last couple of years, like, Denzel Mahoney, for example, you know, he left CMO to go to Creighton mm-hmm. and Belmont just lost, you know, one of their best players to, uh, right. you know, Xavier. Well, and I don't blame, I don't blame a kid for trying, like, let's say that you are a guy who comes out of high school, you don't get recruited very much, you're a good player, but nobody knows about it, maybe you didn't play AU, whatever it is. And so you go someplace. Now, to me, I think that there's something to be said for I, this is just the way I am. That, okay. Look, these are the folks that wanted you, and these are the folks that gave you a chance, and and you 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 owe it to them. To you know, to, to that, that's just the way I would raise my kids. That's the way I would do it. But I also, if you're at the, let's say, like even after this year, you're going to have a whole bunch of guys who are graduated at the end of this year because everybody's got their year back, and that you're going to have a whole bunch of guys that could move go to a bigger school and I can't fault anybody that tries to do that that's a different deal than things aren't going my way I'm not getting to play I'm leaving I don't that that I don't think is good for you I think if you are a guy who has you know has played and all this and it is really hard for me to say hey you shouldn't go try to play at the University of Missouri if you're a Missouri kid or the University of Illinois Sure. I mean, my gosh, that you get one crack at your career, 
I, I, I don't blame a, I do not blame a guy at all on something like that. Yeah, that's a, so, here's a here's a fact. We'll get other players. Like if I let's say because I've got whole, all these seniors. If I had guys at the end of this year who said, "Man, coach, I just I get I'm gonna get a chance to go play at this school. I got to go do it." I'm telling you, I'm not. I'm. I'm just, there's a lot of guys that'll have a hard time with it. I just wouldn't because there's a lot. There's, we'll go get other guys. It'll be, we'll be fine. So looking at this season, the bye games have been few and far between, which, you know, for a mid-major, that's kind of your lifeblood. How were you guys able to put together such a tough schedule to start the year? Well, it was the, the problem is not the number of them. There was plenty of games we had. The problem is they don't have as they're not paying as much money because they can't. So typically, I, if I was having a 30, 30 game schedule or whatever it is, 29, 30, I'd like to play three bye games. I've played four before if we're, you know, whatever, trying to put new paint on the walls or something. But the, I, three is, is the, is a good number. If you've got 12 non-league games, right? Okay. Because then I can maybe buy a couple games, you know, of, of non-division ones myself. And that's okay. Well, now I've played three of these games and I've only got seven, of, <laughs> I've only got seven uh, non-league games. So, the reason I had to play three is because they're, they're paying half as much, which is understandable because if you're like, we went and played Wisconsin. Well, they rely on, they rely on football money and they've got no fans at their games. So it's, it's hurting us because we, you know, we need the, we need revenue from those buy games, but man, a lot of the big, the, the big schools have, are, have a huge deficit because they don't have any, they don't have football money. So, Normally we'd get paid around a hundred thousand to play Wisconsin, and now it's half that. We're we're going. It's it's we're on the rebates. So that's why we started with. I don't want to start that way. My gosh, you have to have your head examined. To play. <laughs> I go to. I, we went from Wisconsin to Marquette, and we were supposed to go to Butler. It got canceled. The next. I mean, we were going to supposed to go there the next day. It got canceled. Dayton called and said, hey, what do you think about coming over here? And so we just kept right on driving and went to Dayton. I mean, that's how, I mean, this is how it is because you got to, you, while you're healthy this year, you better play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's almost like this point, if, if somebody asks, you know, to play a game, you know, it's almost like you got to take it because you're not sure if a game down the road may not get canceled and then you're left Correct. without a non-conference yeah. game. That Well, that's what, that, that's exactly what happened with Dayton. When they called, I hung up on him. <laughs> he said, no, I'm not playing you. <laughs> I mean, I swear, I'm serious. I'm like, the, the, we were on our way back from Marquette. All right. We just lost by 23 or five or something. And they called and said, Hey, do you want to come here? And I said, no, I don't want to go there. Why would I want to do that? I just got my butt kicked. I'm not doing that. Well, then the next day I wake up the next day and I thought, I probably shouldn't just say no. I probably ought to ask my boss at least, uh, because it's you don't have you, there's just not revenue you can pick up that you know not easily but that that readily sure and so it, it, what you just said is what I thought it's like you know what I, while you have an opportunity and while you're healthy you better play all the games you can you know we we've, we've played you know some games some teams have played zero games we've gotten all we've got five games already um, and. Here next week, we'll have all of our non-conference games done, so we won't have any room to play more games. 
Well, I mean, you look at the games you have played. I know you said you lost to Marquette by you know more than twenty, but you look at the game against Wisconsin, the game against Dayton. Yeah, you lost, but you it was a very competitive game. Both of them were, and I don't think I don't think a lot of people, especially if you look at uh, the sports betting side out in like Las Vegas, they see you know these spreads are so high. But then I kind of yeah. look at it as if you know, I, I can't quite understand why they're so high like that. With with your team especially, you're very senior-led, and there's not a lot of home court advantage this year either because the schools don't have as many fans at the, at the games. And what you guys were able to do against Wisconsin and then, you know, the Dayton game, you know, forgetting about the Marquette game, you rebounded and came back and played a great game against Dayton. I mean, I... To start out a season like that and to be competitive like that, I think it, you know, it's a, it's a good sign in my opinion. Yeah, I think so. But it, you know, the thing that's the travel is hard. The travel is really hard because you are everybody's going to be bussing. Uh, we would bus normally anyway, and that's why most of my bike games we play them within driving distance. Because um, I'm trying to save it, I don't want to. I want to spend fifteen grand on the airline tickets, um, and so. Um, you're going to see some really weird scores because um, you've got you might you might find out right before the game that you don't have two guys. I mean, and I'm talking right before the game, and that's going to happen to lots of people. So you're going to see scores just whether it's whatever you know Virginia, you know, and the, plus the other thing is people don't have. I've we went a week and a half and only had eight guys to practice. Wow, and so everybody is in such different positions it's it is totally impossible um i mean like i know betting has become more just more prevalent everybody's doing it It, it's crazy if you're trying to figure out what's going on in this this year (laughs) holy you need to reevaluate what what you're doing with your money (laughs) because this is not i mean it's completely it's it's always unpredictable it's a it's a bad idea I think in general, and this year it is a really crazy thing because you don't. There is no way of knowing who's even going to be on somebody's roster. Oh, it's just it's really something. You're absolutely right. But the program is coming off of a winning record from a year ago, and the team this year looks to be even better. Is there a certain area that you feel the team needs to improve on from last year to help improve the record from a year ago? Yeah, I think we. This is a hard one to improve on. We've got to get smarter about decisions to make certain plays shots to take we've got to close out games better we had that game last night we it's not like you had it we had it won but if we if you'd done things right we could have had it in regulation we could have had it in the first overtime and we we with guys that should have, have had enough games under the belt we shouldn't be making some of the passes some of the plays we missed we missed free throws and layups <clears throat> you know, and we overcame all that and still won. That's a that's a good thing, but you're you're not going to continue to do that. And so, I don't know how much you improve on things like that. You kind of you kind of are the way you are when it comes to those things. But we need to get a little wiser, um, and then as coaches, we probably need to try to put them in better spots. I guess um, because I you know I've always been. I hate calling set plays uh, like at the end of games. I've always had really good guards that could go make plays, and I've always felt like 
you give the ball to a good player, it's better than any play that a coach can draw. Um, and it may be that, that this our squad needs a little bit, we need a little bit more structure on some stuff. But um, yeah, I I want to give us a shot at trying to go make make the right play on some things. But um, we've, there was a couple times last night that I thought that we probably with a bunch of senior guys we probably should have closed it out better. So talking about those seniors, you're very upper class heavy. I think you have what eight seniors and three juniors, which puts you has to put you right there at the top of the discussion of most experience. Has that experience already paid off for your guys early going, uh, or are you still expecting more from those guys? Um, I think it's paid off. I mean, I think last was an example of it. Even though it wasn't, it, it wasn't picture perfect on the way you know the way things ended. We we hung in there enough. I don't know that we would have won that game last year. Um, I think that. I mean, we we turned it over at Dayton. We turned it over in the last thirty seconds with a two point deficit. Just, I mean, a silly backcourt turnover. Um, and then here yesterday at Green Bay, we missed free throws. I mean, like both both free throws with a two point lead and ten seconds to go. Uh, like we we took some couple bad shots in the last minute or two, uh, but we we won the game on a missed free throw believe it or not. And so the fact that we kept playing it makes you feel good. I'm glad we did that. The, I think that there were times last year when things went bad. Um, we, we hung our heads too much and we didn't move on and get to the, you know, we'll talk about getting to the next play all the time. You know, that's the one thing about basketball. You don't get to huddle and regroup. You can't, there's no sulking. You can't, there's no time for it. And so we, we did that a little bit. Well, last night we did, we didn't sulk. And so, uh, I think that, as much as anything, was was the reason we won. How big is the addition of Sammy Friday as a grad transfer? You know, as he comes over from Siena. Yeah, he's been great. I mean, like we won the game because of him last night. There's no question. Now, he's got to get. You know, he didn't play much at Siena. They've got a good team. They've got they had good big guys. And so there's a, there's a case of a guy, you know, just saying, hey, I, I just want to. I don't want to play six minutes a game anymore. Um, the rig really great kid. He was really thankful for, you know, for the stuff that he had at Siena. And we needed, we've had, we had good, we have good inside guys, but they were small. We were, we were really undersized last year. We were one of the smallest teams in the country, but we were, we were one of the best shot blocking teams in the league. And we were one of the best rebounding teams in the league. So it wasn't that we were bad. We just, we, they, we just needed a little bit more size. And so Sammy's six nine and two something. Two, he's big. And um, he last night he rebounded everything. And and whether or not he put it back in, he at least got fouled. And um, and then he's just a, he's a good solid person. He's he's fun to have around. He comes to practice every day. He's excited about playing. And he's you know he's getting to play. He's part of. I told him that last night. I said, "Isn't it fun to be out there when the game's on the line?" Because he'd never really been been able to do that, not for a long time. So you talked about earlier that your dad kind of, by example, taught you that not, not to get too high with the highs or low with the lows. But in your time at Eastern, do you have a, a game that stands out, maybe just being proud of your kids, that, wow, that was a great win for us? Um, yeah, lots of them. I mean, we had, last year we had, we beat, 
Murray State last year right. in the yeah. most improbable deal ever, which I, you know, right or right or wrong, I, I consider it the greatest comeback in the history of college basketball. <laughs> and I'll continue to say it until somebody can prove to me that it's not. Because we were down, I don't know what it was. 54 31. I think it was more than that. How much? What did you just say? 54 31? 54 31 with seven and a half minutes to go. See, but I think it was actually, well, you may be right. I don't remember. I mean, you, you <laughs> probably know better great. than I do, but yeah, yeah. Well, no, three, I don't. I don't because it's got it all confused. But see, there were, there were other comebacks that were more points. Like, there have been teams that have been down 30. I don't think we were ever down that. We might have been. But there were teams that have been down 30 points and come back to win. But it was maybe they were down in the first half. We were right. down 20, whatever you said, 20 something with seven minutes to go. It was over. We were, and we just, everything that could go right or wrong for either one of us happened. So that was like an unbelievable deal that didn't, it was so strange because you didn't even feel like it was a comeback until about a minute to go. Because we were still down like nine with a minute to go. Uh-huh. Uh, so that one was really cool. We beat, um, we beat Illinois, and I would have called that a uh, it's an exhibition game. And had we not beaten them, um, I would have just said, "Well, it's an exhibition game." But now, <laughs> now that we since we won, I I consider it in my head. I consider that a real game, even though it was not. It was it was a, it was a deal where they were really nice to us to call us and say, "Hey, we'll come to your place." It was during those hurricane relief games. Uh-huh. And, but now we were both trying to win, and so for us to beat, you know, Illinois had never come to Eastern Illinois, and I would, I would project they're probably not going to come back. <laughs> but, they, but it's not that they're running from us, but they're like, hey, the next time you're coming. Uh, and then we let, we beat we beat Missouri a few years ago. That was really cool. Um, you know, you don't when you play those bye games, you're not intended to win them. They don't pay you money to come in and right. And so anytime you, you have a shot at winning one of those, it's a heck of a thing. I, I'm, I think we have not been terrible in them. We've, we've been real competitive in a lot of games, but I bet my record is about three and 30 in those games, just because you're just not going to, you're just right. you're not, not going to win very many of them. Well, it's just an added bonus if you go in there and win and it's like you're double dipping. Well, there's nothing better than, than, Hey, you know, Sorry about the loss. Thanks for the check. <laughs> but you that never, ever happened. I mean, ever. So that's why I don't. I don't even. I don't. I don't think I've ever even yelled at a referee once during any of those games because I know what those games are. I mean, I used to stay there and you know play the best you can and move on. So the OVC has had solid production over the last ten years of you know players getting to the NBA. Who has been the toughest player to prepare a defensive scheme against that may that may not have made it to the NBA but had or is having a nice career overseas? Well, the right now there's a guy in the league right now that that is going to play for a long time, and I don't know if he. I think he'll be in the NBA. I don't know. He's a, in terms of an NBA player. It's hard to project him because he's about six. I don't know. He's probably six, four or five. Uh, his name's Terry Taylor. And he is, he is so can do some things that are so unbelievable. Um, he's six, five. He's really athletic. If you remember a guy that played for, uh, DePaul named Quentin Richardson, um, mm-hmm. he played, he, he's another guy. that's like six, three or four. He's a little like Corliss Williamson. He's kind of that guy who 
is six four to six six, and you just don't aren't sure what he is if you're an NBA scout, but or they can figure out a way to do it. He does stuff like you you, you guard him in the post, and you work around and yeah you can, you can't let him catch it easy. They lob they lob it to him like you know you're front in the post and they they lob a ball up. Right. I've seen him do this more than three or four times. They lob it up on the top, and you know a lot of guys will catch it, you know, pivot, drop, jump up, and lay it in. That's a really a hard play. He jumps up and tips it in, and I'm not kidding you. Like they lob it, and he just redirects it with his hand and tips it in. It's the stupidest thing you've ever seen, and it is. <laughs> we showed our guys the thing on the on film just to give them an idea that this is the kind of thing he can do. And they all, they are all like, oh, you know, just sort of like laughing at how amazing it was. And then he did it in our game, just jumped up. They, they just, they lob it all the time, and they, he just tips it from, from. And I'm not talking like right next to the rim. I'm talking about from three feet away. He'll tip it in. You always try to do that out in your driveway. It, you can't do it. He does it a lot. Uh, John Morant was obviously like, we were the reason that he got the draft picked. I mean, we we were so. We we showed everything that he could do because when we played him at our place, he got to do all the dunks that he always does. And then we also didn't guard him at the ball screen very well. And at the time he came in, I thought it was smart to let him shoot it because uh, he was only shooting 28% from three. And he made his first five. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. He made his first five threes. Uh, it was just, you know, it was as bad a feeling as you can have. I mean, it's like we we can't we can't stay in front of him we can't do this hey let's let him shoot oh by the way yeah he's gonna do that too so it's there's there have been lots of good players he's he was about as he's a he's about as uh you just kind of throw your hands up and just think man i don't feel kind of helpless against this guy well i always felt like when a kid does something like that you talk about shooting 28 percent guys we don't let him shoot he does he shoots terrible out there then he hits five in a row there's some part of you as a coach that you're, you're like these kids are thinking i'm an idiot I'm well, they already <laughs> think that. No, they already think that. What you've, you've confirmed it. Uh, at least if you show it to me, like, hey, look, you know, I mean, especially with, our, with you know, every guy, if, if you're in Division One, you can make them. I mean, right. even guys that can't shoot, if they're standing out playing horse, they'll stand out and make six, eight threes in a row. And and so if you, you could, you always want to be careful about, you know, hey, this guy cannot shoot. But with him, there wasn't any other options. It's like, hey, look, you know, if you get up into him, you know what's going to happen. Some guys, you just say, hey, let's let's try to, you know, let's rebound every miss or let everybody else shoot it or something. <laughs> so a few years ago, the Ohio Valley Conference made the move for their tournament to from Nashville to Evansville. Do you like that move? There's some people that say, you know, you're playing on another a school from a different conference's home court. Did you have any feelings one way or the other about that? Um, I like it because it's closer to Charleston. Right. Um, and I, I like the arena's great. The arena, I like the Nashville. I like Nashville in general. We go there a couple times a year. Um, I didn't, the arena there was so old uh, right. that, Nothing, nothing you can do about that. Um, it was just but the arena at, at Evansville is so much nicer. And then the, the you know Nashville's got a lot going on. Evansville um, has been really great in that they they've kind of embraced us as you know when we come in there. And we've had 
we've had a couple of great tournaments. Two years ago, when John Morant and um, uh, um, Dylan Windler were playing in the finals, you had NBA scouts. It was packed. It was a it was a huge event. I mean, they're interviewing Magic Johnson on the thing, and they're talking about John Morant, Magic Johnson, and I'm sitting there watching. Like, man, this we look like we look like as big time a league as, as anybody. And it isn't always like that, but um, it's uh, our league is really good. And people, you know, if you, if you get a chance to go watch uh, teams like Austin P and Jacksonville State, and this year Eastern Kentucky is really good. Um, these are these are hard teams to play. So before we wrap this up, uh, sticking with the Ohio Valley Conference tournament, do you like the fact that basically the OVC makes you earn your spot into the tournament since they've only been taking the basically the top eight from the conference no but i i understand why we do it i mean i, I the it's the same thing like we also have a double buy and so i don't know if it's that way this year i think they may change it for this year but this year only i understand whether like the if you were the number one seed or the number two seed you don't play in the, either the first two rounds you basically have a buy into the semis and the, the reason makes a lot of sense that you want your best teams in the NCAA tournament. And basically, you only have to make it through two games. And so you got your one and two seeds only having, only having to win two games to win the tournament. Um, I've never been one of those two guys, but the guys that have say that, you know, it's kind, it's a little bit harder than you think because basketball is a, tournament game and teams get on a roll and if you're sitting there watch a team getting on a roll and you've been sitting in the stands watching them for two games now you step in and they're kind of oiled up ready to go and you're not and so it, it has back uh, Rick Bird at Belmont felt that way a little bit uh, but the money is so great though that you can't afford to not have your best team in there you know, if, if somebody's really good, you need them in the NCAA tournament because the fact that we've won some games in the NCAA tournament has it hasn't saved our league, but it's really benefited our league because it's you're talking about millions of dollars. Oh, I'm sure. So and we all we all share in that. And so we've had a couple of years ago, Belmont and Murray won, um, and we all share in that. Yeah, and that's, so that's huge for the league. Sure it is. Sure it is. So kind of our non-basketball question for all of our guests. I call it our entertainment tonight question. Chris and I are headed to see you guys play there in Charleston. Do you have a place that we should go eat, and what do you suggest we order? Mm. Oh, you're going to get me in trouble with our spot. Everybody in our town sponsors us. Well, how about Evansville? Have you found a spot in Evansville yet? No. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Every place that sponsors us is terrific. I love them. Uh, my chili's good, but it makes my stomach hurt for a couple of days. Um, I'll tell you what. Okay, here's one that does not sponsor us, but I they they've started up just recently. It's a place called Wildcatters Wildcatters Grill. It's a it's one of these places that that has got it's got the best burger, at least in our county. And we'll probably, I'm going to go, I'm going to even take it up to Champagne. It's the best burger also in Champagne. Wildcatters Grill. New place. It's got uh, video poker. 
Uh, oh, wow. It's nice. It's it's kind of down on 18th Street, and I really like it. And they have they paid me nothing to say that. Uh, yeah, I really like it. I, 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 anytime I need a anytime I need a burger, that's where I go. All right, thanks. Okay, yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep that in mind and uh, look at all the places that sponsor your, your uh, program as well. But uh, yeah, the uh, if we start naming the people that sponsor, then uh, now all of a sudden I got I got issues, I got problems, <laughs> and I don't need that. Plus, a couple <laughs> of the guys that sponsor us are big, tough guys. I'm not going to get I'm not going to get <laughs> Well, Coach Spoonhour, is great having you on. Uh, really enjoyed the interview today and. Uh, best of luck this season, and you know, best of luck throughout the rest of your, uh, you know, coaching endeavors. Yeah, you bet. Who are you having on next? Do we know yet? Is it everybody in the, the Missouri Valley or the the Ohio Valley and the Missouri Valley? Uh, we try and get a little bit of of both. Um, we don't really have another one lined up at this point. Uh, we've been talking to, or been back and forth with, I guess, Tennessee Tech's sports information oh, yeah. director, trying to yeah. get uh, Coach Pelfrey be on. good. He's he's fun. Wait till they, wait till somebody's in a good mood. The uh, so for some, I mean, you got me at the right time, and it's hard, you know, it's hard to find me a time to take a good mood. So I'm glad this worked out. Yeah, it was it was great having you on. Uh, hope everything goes well this season. You guys are able to play all your games that are uh, scheduled. Yep, you bet. Well, thanks, boys. I appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. coach. Yeah, thank you. And that was our interview with Coach Jay Spoonhour. Uh, TJ, I know we've been trying to get him on for the last uh, couple weeks, been in contact, trying to find a good time. And I thought the interview went great. Um, He's doing good things with Eastern Illinois, especially this year. He's been around a long time, has a lot of coaching experience, and comes from a great coaching family. Yeah, you know, I I lived so close to St. Louis and in my formative years of watching basketball, we used to go over and catch some of those slew games, you know, the old spoonball games with uh, Irwin Claggett, Nate Waldman, those guys, those teams were a lot of fun to watch when his dad was there at slew. And, you know, obviously, like he said, we caught him at a great time. He coming off a double overtime win and there's not quite that a feeling better than the morning after a big win. You know, my coach, she had those Saturday morning practices it was just the kids could have done whatever they wanted because hey, we won last night, so there's a lot. It's a lot easier to get up. Food tasted better, you know. The air smelled sweeter. You know, it was just a great day. So you know, we got him at the best time to have an interview. It was really insightful too. I really, but especially like what he had to say about or how forthright he was about getting no buy games. Sure. You know, hey, I, I like to get three of them so that I have twelve not cons normally, but I don't have that kind of luxury <laughs> this year. And because the money's tighter, we had to even still had to have three, you know, where he might have been able to kind of cut back on that had they not had the, the lower money for those buy games. So I thought that was a, a good insight to get from it. Absolutely. And I tell you what, I the part I really got a kick out of was when he said, and I'll be honest, when Dayton called to get a game, I hung up on him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't want to go there. <laughs> I just came from Wisconsin and Marquette. Yep. So, but that's kind of where college basketball is right now. You got to take what you can get at this point. Yep. But moving on to the games this week, got a lot of crossover games this week, TJ. Uh, what's the one of them you're looking forward to? Well, I think SIU Valpo, SIU Edwardsville, and Valparaiso. Trying to figure out who Valparaiso is. I mean, are we going to get the team that played against Purdue or the one that played Illinois Chicago? You know, I think. Uh, Edwardsville's been more competitive and hopefully they can 
you know, do some things. But I think that's it should be a good opportunity to see if Alprazo maybe takes him too lightly. If that's what the case that they did at Illinois Chicago. But uh, what about you? Which one are you looking forward to? I'm looking. Oh, I'm looking forward to the Eastern Illinois Evansville game. Uh, I know Evansville's still searching for that first win. Eastern Illinois is coming off of a a nice double overtime win, and Evansville's coming off of a heartbreaking game. So I'm really trying mm-hmm. to see how Evansville responds from that, you know, that overtime loss against UT Martin. They have a lot of OVC games on their schedule. You know, they have SEMO not far, you know, down the road. And, you know, Evansville's going to get a win at some point where I think people may not expect them to win that game. But they're due. I mean, they've been playing competitive here recently, and, you know, it, it's not going to be long before they get a win. And, you know, once they get that win, that that might nudge them in the right direction. Uh, that's one of them. The other one I'm looking forward to is Murray State going to Carbondale in SIU. Uh, Murray State, it's going to be a tough opponent for Carbondale, and they're going to be riding in with a lot, a lot of momentum, I feel like, as I'm sitting here watching Murray State and Austin P right now as we record this. I mean, Murray State has taken it to Austin P, who is the preseason favorite. You, know, you mean you didn't predict that? You didn't bet on uh, Murray State to win tonight? Uh, no, I did not. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean... It, with Austin P, with all the hype around them, there's no way I would have expected this or basically anybody else would have expected this kind of game. I mean, Murray State's currently up 68-42 to 42 with seven and a half minutes to go. I mean, they've been, they've been locking down Taylor at this point, and it just seems like Austin P hasn't had much answer to this. So with Murray State having a game like this, they're going to be ready to go when they – get down to Carbondale yeah you know they were Austin P was up 10 to 9 and then Murray went on a 17-0 run next thing you knew it was 26-10 and they just haven't looked back since so yeah it'll be interesting you know lots of good guard play it'll be interesting to see how uh, uh, you know the Salukis the young Saluki team matches up to Murray's experience and Hopefully it'll be a good game. You know, of course I'm pulling for the Missouri Valley schools, and you're pulling for the OBC schools. So need some MVC schools to start getting some wins here and even it out since they're down uh, two to one to OBC schools so far. That's okay. You know, I can I can still get my dinner. <laughs> you know, I'm... we don't know where we're gonna get it though. No, but if if I win, <laughs> I'll find something good. Don't you worry. Yeah, you're gonna take you're gonna be like Ruth Chris Steakhouse or something, aren't you? Well, yeah, that's my name, Chris. You would you think <laughs> I'd find something less? We need to find you a girl named Ruth, and then we'll, hey, we're gonna go eat at Ruth Chris. Okay. Go over to your house. <laughs> oh, uh, December fifteenth, Simo plays at Evansville. So, like we said, Evansville's got a lot of games against the OVC on their schedule, a lot of regional games. And I think that'll be a good one. It's both both programs trying to go on the up and up here and really both teams with, you know, new coaches, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, Evansville had the change of coach last year midseason and Coach Brad Korn uh, relieving uh, Rick Ray at SEMO. So I, th- I think that'd be another game for 
Coach Corn to put on his resume, get a, get a road win again before conference play starts, and and try and go into uh, OVC play with a couple wins. They have another game against Lipscomb beforehand, but interested to see how that game goes. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, again, just hoping at some point Evansville can get off the snide here and uh, get that win. I will say, uh, Nana Kenton. Uh, transfer from Nebraska has been playing uh-huh. playing pretty well for SEMO along with Eric Reed Jr. Uh, yep, Eric Reed. I think he had 17 in the SIU game. He did, and he made his first like eight shots yesterday against uh, Lipscomb or last night. So he's been feeling it. Uh, we'll see if uh, SEMO can keep going in the right direction here. But with that, TJ, that'll kind of wrap up the show. You got any final thoughts here before we close out? I just hope everyone stays safe and uh, we can get as many of these games in as possible. It's uh, kind of a wild, wild west, but uh, how about you? Any thought, final thoughts from you? Just looking forward to some of the crossover games and seeing how uh, a lot of these teams fare You know, in Ohio Valley play. I know uh, there are a couple games that have been going on right now um, in OVC play. Eastern Kentucky, as we said, got their first win. Murray up on Austin P. But also another game, Belmont uh, took it to Tennessee State in that Nashville Nashville game. As both schools are located in Nashville, Tennessee, Belmont won 79-64, which was Tennessee State's first game. So Tennessee State still working off a little bit of the rust. That's a tough way to start your season against Belmont yeah. in league play. Especially <laughs> against a team that runs up and down the court quickly, and it's like, well, okay, are we that conditioned yet? So. Yep. But with that, that'll wrap up the show. Again, a special thanks to Coach Jay Spoonauer for taking time out of his day to join the show this week. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we roll on with episode 27. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.